Hello, friends, and welcome to Altitude Crime. I'm your host, Amelia Allen. Well, before we get into today's episode, I did want to say that a couple of our listeners took advantage of the Suggest a Crime discount offer I've been talking about in the last couple episodes. So those suggestions are going to be coming up in some episodes here really soon. So huge thank you to those two listeners. You know who you are, and those will be on their way soon. The case we are covering today haunted Greeley, Colorado for over 30 years, and actually is still an ongoing case. This is the case of Janelle Matthews. Greeley's heartbreak over this case was compounded with the disappearance and finding of the body of Kalia Wilson that we discussed in episode 21. Their cases are very similar. They're both little girls that went missing and their bodies were found in really odd places. While Kalia's body was found in 2010 and not long after her disappearance, Janelle's case has ranged over what is almost four decades. So let's get into it. Janelle Matthews was a 12-year-old 7th grader at the time that she went missing. Her friends and family will always first say that Janelle was really independent. She really knew what she wanted and she was just headstrong and which is really great at that age. Janelle was also really athletic. Her parents were Jim and Gloria Matthews. Jim was a principal at an elementary school in the area and Gloria worked at a restaurant. Janelle also had one sibling which was her older sister named Jennifer. The entire family was really involved in activities at their church, and they went to Sunnyview Church of the Nazarene. In addition to being athletic, Janelle also loved to perform, so anything she could do in front of a crowd was for her, which meant she was also a part of her middle school choir. On December 20th, 1984, Janelle participated in a choir concert that the middle schoolers did at a bank. After the concert was over, she asked her friend Deanna Ross and her dad Russ to give her a ride home. Deanna and Russ dropped Janelle off at around 8 p.m. at her home on 43rd Avenue Court in Greeley. Russ did notice when they dropped Janelle off that the garage door to the house was open, but this didn't alarm him, especially considering that once Janelle was in the house, she flicked the porch light on and off, which was her signal to Deanne and Russ that everything was okay. She was inside the house and she was all set. We do know a little bit about what happened in the very short time that Janelle was in her home. She had taken off the shoes she had worn during the day and put on her house slippers. She had popped on the TV and a space heater, and she did answer one phone call at around 8.30 p.m. Now, this phone call was from a teacher at the school that her father was a principal at, saying that they were going to be sick, they weren't going to be in the next day, so Janelle jots down the message and leaves it there because she is the only one in the house at this time. Her mom, Gloria, was actually visiting some family members out of state and had left that very night. And Jennifer, her sister, who was 16 at the time, was a junior in high school and was playing at a varsity basketball game. Janelle's dad, Jim, was also at the basketball game. So no one had been at Janelle's choir concert and she was home alone at this time. Her dad got home from the basketball game at about 9.30. And as Jim enters the house, he also notices that the garage door is open, which is odd, but he doesn't really think anything of it. And he gets into the house to find the house undisturbed, but no Janelle inside. 
So he thought maybe she had actually ended up at a friend's house after the choir concert. And Jennifer, her sister, gets home just after her dad at about 10 p.m. And Jennifer hasn't seen her sister either. So in about an hour, Jim calls around to other people's houses to see if Janelle is at a friend's house. He calls his pastor and then he calls police. In the meantime, as this is now getting into a missing person situation, Gloria, Janelle's mom, has landed in California at about midnight, 1 a.m. And she calls to check in and she hears this terrible news and basically turns right back around to get back to Colorado. Of course, the first initial thought is that Janelle ran away. But Janelle's family, Janelle's friends, this is out of the question. They have no reason for her to do this. It's totally out of her character. And also the timing doesn't make sense. Janelle's disappearance happened five days before Christmas. And with the holiday looming, there was a lot of reason for a 12-year-old to not run away with the opening of presents just being days away. Being that it's late and it's cold and it's dark, the search for Janelle really kicked off the following day on the 21st. So investigators get into looking for her. The FBI is brought in right away. And the key thing that they do find around the home is there is snow on the ground and there's shoe prints in the snow kind of all around the house. They also noticed that the perpetrator had tried to get rid of these prints by kind of messing them up with a garden rake. And the rake came from the garage of the home. So what seemed like a very innocent thing of the garage door being open then lends itself to a more sinister vibe. Since the police have ruled out that Janelle could be a runaway, they then do the next thing. They look at people close to Janelle to get some initial suspects. So they first looked at Jim, Janelle's dad, mainly because through the whole process, he just seemed really, really calm, which of course is not what investigators are expecting to see. They're expecting to see a pretty frantic parent. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jim as a suspect here in a minute. They also took a look at Janelle's biological mom. So Janelle was actually adopted by Jim and Gloria. Jennifer was Jim and Gloria's biological child, and then they tried to have another and they weren't successful. So they ended up adopting Janelle. Well, Janelle's mom was 13 at the time she was born and an agency placed Janelle with Jim and Gloria. So in her life, she'd had no contact with her biological mother, but police did ask the question of, could her biological mom want her now? So they start working into that. Well, while the police are working the angle of both Jim and Janelle's biological mom, some other efforts are going on in the case. A reward was posted for $5,000, and as time went on, this reward would continue to grow. Flyers with Janelle's picture and information were sent to 4,000 stores throughout the U.S. in case she had, you know, been taken across state lines. Her case hit national headlines. A man named Michael Miller came to help a couple of weeks into the investigation as he was really familiar with what the Matthews family was going through. His daughter, Beth Miller, had disappeared in Idaho Springs in 1983. Beth had gone out for a run and never returned, so Michael was very familiar with what it was like and the things you needed to do when you had a missing child. On February 9th, which would have been Janelle's 13th birthday, a search took place that would be the largest in Greeley history at that time, and it consisted of over 600 volunteers as well as investigators. In December 1984, the same month that Janelle had gone missing, the National Child Safety Council had just begun the Missing Children Milk Carton Program. 
in which details about missing children would be placed on milk cartons throughout the nation. The aim of this program was to help spread the message about missing children throughout the U.S., as children who were abducted were often taken across state lines. Janelle's picture was one of the first to show up on milk cartons through this program. Janelle's case was even mentioned by then-President Ronald Reagan in a speech he made in 1985 on the topic of missing children. While all of these efforts were happening, police continued to work the very few angles that they had. They ended up following Janelle's biological mom around for six months, and they were also still investigating her dad during this time. Jim got a polygraph, and while the results were never released to the public, the police did ask for a second one. But after all of those months, the police ended up ruling out both Janelle's biological mom and Jim. And while the police had gotten a lot of tips over that time, none of them led to anything substantial. Bits and pieces of information would come in the following years, but nothing leading to Janelle or any answers about where she was. In 1985, a sheriff of Weld County, which Greeley is located in Weld County, had had a piece of scalp with long brown hair turned into him. A farm dog had found it about two months prior to him reaching out to Greeley police. They sent this out for some testing, which most likely was probably hair like comparison analysis because we would have not had DNA really up and running at that time. But the results ended up being not conclusive. So in an effort to really be able to rule out if this was Janelle's scalp or not. In November 1985, Gloria physically looked at the piece to see if she felt it was Janelle's hair, and she did not. Some more years would pass, and in 1992 in South Dakota, a man was arrested for some kind of charge, and when police were looking into him, they found in his home a lot of clippings about missing children, and one of the children included was Janelle, but this ended up being another dead end. He was found to not have been able to be in Greeley at the time of her disappearance and was not related to her case at all. After 10 years of Janelle missing in 1994, the Matthews family had her declared dead and unfortunately life continued on as normal. Gloria would have to have a hard conversation a couple years later. In 1996, the Matthews family received a letter from Janelle's biological mom saying she was ready to meet her daughter. And Gloria had to get in contact with her and tell her the terrible news that she would not be able to meet her daughter because her daughter was missing or dead. The Matthews family eventually moved away from Greeley, Colorado, and her parents actually retired in Costa Rica for a while while Jennifer moved to Washington. And just as life continues, the news cycle continues as well. John Benet Ramsey was found dead in her home in 1996, and Janelle's case, and really every case everywhere, ended up getting overshadowed by this. So while it really is a big part of Greeley history, Janelle's case kind of faded into obscurity. Some more tips would continue to come up over the years, but nothing that would lead to any kind of answers for the Matthews family. In 2014, there were some human remains found in Greeley, but they were not Janelle's. And sometime after that, a woman came forward and said she was Janelle and she was not. And then the case would get a little life breathed back into it in 2018. In this year, Greeley police said they were reopening Janelle's case. They were going to comb through it. They were going to see what they missed. And there had to be an answer out there. They really specifically were looking at Janelle's time at the concert at the bank. 
Someone might have seen her there. Someone might have followed her home. That might have been her point of contact with her killer or abductor or whatever. So they ended up releasing the video of the concert at the bank and basically kind of circled Janelle and who she was so people could get a good idea of what she looked like. I have put a link to this video on altitudecrime.com, so definitely check it out. There's been a lot of speculation since this video has come out. One of the most often heard ones is the placement of her in the video that like, even though her family wasn't there and this wouldn't be her family's video that like, it's directly on her. Greeley Police Department has confirmed they cropped the video so that you are looking only at her. So you can kind of take that piece out of your mind. There is another note that comes up often that there's clearly somebody that she's looking at and people are questioning, you know, who is she looking at? This one again is very innocuous to me because when you're that age, you know your friend's parents and you're looking at them or this is also a small town and smaller in 1984 when this happened. So she could have very well known everybody in that room. So it could be something, it could be nothing. Regardless, this reopening of the case really didn't gain any traction, and the dust kind of started to settle again. And it's ironic that I say that phrase because dust is just the next place that we're going. Janelle's body ended up being found on July 23rd, 2019. Her body was found by workers digging a pipeline in the area about 20 minutes south of Greeley, and her body was found in a pretty shallow grave. The clothes that Janelle's body had on were the same clothes that she was wearing when she disappeared in 1984. Upon inspection, it was obvious that Janelle had died from one gunshot wound to the head. They ended up confirming that this was Janelle's body using dental records, and the finding of her body would come 34 years after her disappearance. So over three decades after her disappearance, not only would investigators get her body, but they also had a suspect emerge. And this was Stephen Dana Pankey. Investigators officially named him a person of interest in 2019. Now remember, from some of our very early episodes, I talked about what a person of interest actually is. I think a lot of times we lump that in with a suspect because a lot of times a person of interest becomes a suspect, but they are not the same. A person of interest in a case is someone that police feel have information that is viable to the case. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to become a suspect or that they have any ill intention, but they do have some kind of information that police feel is important to a case. The Matthews family did not know who Panky was, but Greeley police were very familiar with him. They'd had multiple interactions with him in Greeley for things like nuisance and harassment calls. Pinky lived near the Matthews family at the time of Janelle's disappearance. He lived with his wife and had a five-year-old son at the time of Janelle's disappearance. After this, Pinky and his family had moved multiple times to multiple states and eventually ended up in Idaho. While there, he ran for governor in 2014 as a candidate with the Constitution Party. And here's a little personal fact about me. I cannot keep up with all these party names. He also ran for governor in 2018 in the Republican primary, and he was unsuccessful in both of those campaigns. He also ran and did not get elected for sheriff three times and lieutenant governor. 
Around April 2019, police had started with kind of talking to Pinky's family members to get this going. And supposedly around this time, Pinky had offered up his DNA to police, or at least that's what he says in interviews. But Greeley police say that this never happened. But they really geared up the investigation on him after Janelle's body was found in July. So a search warrant was executed on his house on September 4th, 2019. As is normal with most search warrants, they took digital items like computers, things like that, and also had him give a DNA sample. But another thing that's kind of unique to the warrant that they were looking at was things like journals, diaries, sketches. So it seems investigators were thinking that he could have kind of journaled about this at some point because it had been so many years and that would be a long time to kind of have something like that in your brain. Now, I know you're probably wondering if anything ever happened at his home in Greeley. Well, we do know that some areas of the yard were dug up, but nothing was ever released to the public, which leads me to believe that nothing viable was found at that home or else I think we would have heard about it. So at this point, Pinky became the prime suspect and he decided to do a few very odd media interviews after being named a person of interest. I will put a link to this very lengthy interview on altitudecrime.com. I don't want to dive too much into it because I do really want to focus on Janelle. I think this piece of the story tends to take away from her a bit and you can kind of go down a rabbit hole with this guy. But I will kind of talk about one thing and this is his reasoning for why he ever reached out to FBI and police because he did have a lot of contact with police and FBI about Janelle's case over the years. And we'll kind of detail that a little bit more in a little bit. But his story is that on December 27th, 1984, he had just gotten back from California visiting family and his father-in-law comes over. And his father-in-law at the time was a groundskeeper at the local cemetery. And he says that a cop came up to him and said they need to have a body buried or else Pinky was gonna be in big trouble. So this leads Pinky to believe that police are responsible for Janelle's disappearance. So since he'd had some run-ins with Greeley PD already, he decides to call the FBI to tell them about the story that his father-in-law has said. And he also doesn't want to call Greeley PD because he's thinking that they're involved. So that's really how his communication with authorities begins. And we're going to detail that out a little bit more here in just a minute. On October 9th, 2020, Pinky was indicted by a grand jury. The charges he was indicted on were first degree murder, second degree kidnapping with a weapon, and a crimes of violence counts, which basically would have enhanced the sentence of the other two charges. Now, another reminder here, we have seen multiple grand juries in cases we've covered so far. Now, this does not mean that he's convicted of these. This grand jury basically says that Authorities have enough evidence to charge and go to trial for these charges. So with that, Pinky was arrested on October 12th, 2020. At the time, he was living in Meridian, Idaho, and he complied with officers. While he awaited extradition to Colorado, he was held without bond. So let's get into the trial. On February 3rd, 2021, he pled not guilty to all of the charges. And the trial started just this last October, in October 2021, and was held in Weld County District Court. The beginning of the trial would mark 37 years since Janelle's disappearance. So let's talk a little bit about the prosecution's case and what evidence they felt that they had against him. 
So the prosecutor, Assistant District Attorney Rob Miller, painted the picture that Panky had kidnapped Janelle at gunpoint and then killed her with the same gun later in the night. Now, the case that they had against him was wildly circumstantial because any DNA found on Janelle's body when it was recovered was unusable. I mean, it's been out in the prairie for over 30 years. You've got a lot of degrading of evidence there. So they really worked this circumstantial case. They had 60 witnesses that were called to the stand, and these included friends and family of Janelle, Pinky's ex-wife Angela Hicks, and law enforcement involved in this investigation. So Panky had inserted himself into the investigation pretty early on, within weeks of Janelle's disappearance. So I mentioned earlier he was a neighbor, so he lived two miles away from Janelle and her family. And his home in Greeley was about 10 miles away from where her body was found. He attended the same church as the Matthews family. And Pinky was also known by locals to sit at Franklin Middle School and watch children walk home. Janelle was one of the students at Franklin Middle School. Panky also knew a family friend of the Matthews who was Russ. And Russ was the one who dropped off Janelle after the Christmas concert. Panky had worked with him and had actually gone to a court proceeding regarding some type of work issue between the two. The most key testimony for prosecution was Angela Hicks, Panky's ex-wife. So she recounted a number of things that happened during their relationship and around the time that Janelle went missing. She explained that the night Janelle disappeared, Panky told her they were going to leave early in the morning the next day, they were gonna drive and visit family in California. He claimed to investigators that the trip was expected and it was basically his alibi, but as far as Angela knew, it was totally out of the blue and not something that had been planned or that they'd ever talked about. As they left Colorado to head to California, he also dropped off the family dogs somewhere and they never got them back and the dogs were never seen again by the rest of the family. When returning from California, he wanted to listen to the news on the radio specifically about Janelle's disappearance. And this struck Angela as strange because it was not normal for him to listen to the radio. The family returned to Colorado on December 26, 1984. And after what was at least an 18 hour drive or longer, depending on where exactly they went in California, most people would want to get straight home. But Panky opted to go out of his way to buy newspapers with articles regarding Janelle's case. Right after their return from California, he started to do some digging in the backyard of their home and a car on their property randomly basically exploded and burned up and he got rid of it. Now you'll also remember, uh, so they returned on December 26th. December 27th is when supposedly he has this conversation with his father-in-law about the police being involved in Janelle's disappearance and he starts to reach out to authorities. But the coincidences between Panky and Janelle's disappearance would not end in those few days around her actually disappearing. According to Fox 21 News, in 1985 at a church service in which the minister was talking about how he hoped Janelle would eventually be found safe, Panky called the minister, quote, a false prophet, and quote, Panky became so agitated that parishioners had to remove him from the church, unquote. 
So through the years, his contact with authorities continued. And in 1999, he started to try to make deals with the authorities to get immunity in exchange for what information he knew about Janelle's disappearance. Also, according to Fox 21 News, in 1999, he had told the Idaho Supreme Court that, quote, without a deal, this case will never be solved, unquote. There's also note of him making this comment online on a site talking about Janelle's case, and in an interview, he does admit to it being him making the comment. According to a timeline created by CBS News, he continued to have tussles with police in Idaho once he arrived there. In one court document, he said he, quote, feared he might get the death penalty for revealing the location of Miss Matthews' body, unquote. So needless to say, Pinky's statements to police spread over many years. One of these statements to police was a list of persons of interest. Now, the interesting thing about this list is it included who was then the Greeley mayor, John Gates. He had been an investigator on the case when Janelle went missing. And this obviously is basically a tie to Pinky's accusation that the police are involved in this is kind of a conspiracy. But also listed on this person of interest list is his own name, which I guess would be accurate, but wouldn't you want to kind of get yourself out of the situation? According to Patty Nieberg's reporting for The Sentinel Colorado, prosecutors also explained at trial that in 2008, Angela and Panky attended the funeral of their son who had actually been murdered. And Angela heard Panky say following his son's funeral that, quote, I hope God didn't allow this to happen because of Janelle Matthews, unquote. Panky had said he was open to talk to Greeley police, but refused to see them when they went to Twin Falls, Idaho on August 15th, 2019. He did offer to take a polygraph, but investigators refused this offer. In the search of Pinky's computer that was taken in the 2019 warrant in search of his house, they found that he searched for information on Janelle's case often. But in 2019, after being contacted by investigators, there was a clear attempt for him to delete these searches that had happened over multiple years. But the most damning piece of information that prosecutors brought up was that Panky was able to discuss the use of the rake to try to mess up the, the footprints in the snow at the scene. This particular detail about the rake was never released to the public. While the prosecution laid out a pretty compelling circumstantial case, Panky's lawyer, Anthony Viorst, put up a lot of reasoning for why his client was not guilty. The defense first started by brushing off Angela's claims. They based this on that she didn't raise any of these suspicions until 1999, and this was the same year that she was seeking a divorce from Panky. They basically said that she brought up all these things just to be able to kind of come out of the divorce a little bit better. Pinky, who was 70 years old at the time, did testify in his own defense, but his testimony was not always super coherent and he rambled a lot. One of the main things that he said, according to Nicole Fierro of KDVR, was, quote, The truth is that I made up a lot of stuff out of bitterness for things that happened to me at Sunnyview and for things that happened to me at 7-Up, and my revenge on them was to, and because I hated the police, it was all in one to say, I've got information that you want and you can't have it. It was a polite way of flipping the bird. It was pure hatred at that point, unquote. 
So this is something that comes up a lot in this defense that basically he was trying to get back at his church, which was Sunnyview, and his job, which was 7-Up. To be honest, this until I found this quote, it took me a while to kind of figure this out because it is kind of confusing. So he's basically saying he wanted to affect his church and his job by saying, I've got all this information and you can't have it. I'm still kind of unclear on how that really gets back at those two organizations, but that's his testimony. The defense also did work to come up with an alternate suspect who was a man named Norris Drake. Norris's mother lived across the street from the Matthews family at the time of Janelle's disappearance. And he'd actually visited his mother that night that Janelle went missing, but was away from the home for a few hours. Norris was questioned early on in the investigation, but eliminated as his family had provided an alibi for him. The defense attorneys claim that Norris also knew about the footprints being disrupted with a rake. According to Aaron Udell's reporting for the Colorado Inn, while testifying, Panky said, quote, he had nothing to do with Janelle's kidnapping or death and that he'd never heard of the Matthews family, including Janelle, until news of her disappearance spread through Greeley, unquote. At the end of it all, his defense basically was that he was a true crime junkie and that he lied to say that he had information to basically gain some kind of attention. Pinky had been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. So according to the Associated Press, Viorst had said in his defense that the syndrome, quote, causes Pinky to process information differently and get involved in matters, especially true crime cases, to prove his self-importance, unquote. The defense basically said that they found a lot of information on his computer because Panky wanted to keep up to date on the case and that he took an interest in other cases. And I know you're wondering, but I could not find what other cases these would have been. At the end of it all, his defense lawyer basically said, yeah, he's a jerk, but he didn't do anything. The jury began to deliberate on November 2nd, 2021 and deliberated for two days. Some of his charges drew a mistrial because jurors could not agree on if he was guilty or not guilty. These were the charges of first-degree murder, felony murder, and second-degree kidnapping. Panky did get convicted on a charge, though. The jury was unanimous on the verdict of false reporting to authorities. This charge is a misdemeanor, and the maximum sentence is only six months in jail. And Panky had already spent more time than that in jail awaiting his trial and verdict. Jim, Gloria, and Jennifer all attended the trial, but they've been really mum to the press since Janelle's case is essentially still open. A hearing was scheduled for the Monday after this verdict came back to see what would happen next. Defense attorney Anthony Viorst actually removed himself from the case for any additional hearings or any additional trials. And he just said this was due to his age and his practice being small and he just kind of was ready to not be involved. This meant that Panky now has a Colorado State public defender representing him. Prosecutors had planned in this hearing to have a trial date set for a second trial, but Panky's new attorneys asked for time to review the case documents since they were new to his case, and they have plenty to review. The evidence in this case includes 425 audio recordings, 24,000 pages of discovery, as well as transcripts from this now completed trial. There was a new hearing set for November 17th, 2021 to continue to discuss a new trial. And at the time, Panky was still in custody. Weld County District Judge Timothy Kearns kept effective Panky's 5 million cash only bond. 
I have never heard of a bond like this, especially in Colorado. It's pretty wild. And he's actually been on this since he was originally arrested prior to this trial happening. And now we wait. There's not been any more reported on this case. And as far as I know, we're still waiting for that second trial date. And as far as I know, Panky's still in jail awaiting a new trial date. I will keep you updated on this case as it continues to develop and as a new trial is uh, set to begin. So make sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast because that most likely will be midweek content that won't be normal Sunday content. And you'll get that notification that that comes through. This is, you know, still an open case, so I'm sure if you have any information, no matter how small, the Greeley Police Department would probably really, really appreciate you calling. You can contact them at 970-351-5100. Okay, so let's get into some thoughts on this case, and I'm going to talk your ear off again because I have a lot of them. Musing number one. Okay, I'm going to start with a big one here, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier on. So there is a lot of focus on this video interview of Steve Pankey, and I'm going to speak in reference of he hasn't been convicted of anything, so he's innocent until proven guilty. So if he is her killer, I don't want to glorify him by going into this interview a lot. And if he isn't and he's just seeking attention, I don't want to glorify that either. But there is one really creepy thing in it. So at one point he's talking about Janelle's disappearance happening and he's talking about it like at that time, like him experiencing it at that time and seeing it in the paper and how it affected the town. So he's basically reflecting back. And as he's reflecting on it, he calls Janelle's case a murder and not a disappearance. And then he kind of goes back and corrects himself. And honestly, it gives me goosebumps because even if he's innocent, it's just creepy. I have left a link on altitudecrime.com to the video if you want to watch it. It's almost an hour long. Musing number two. Another thing that caught me right away, and you guys might be thinking it too, is don't twist our wonderful true crime community for your use. The defense basically said that, you know, he's a true crime fan and he's on the spectrum, so he just, you know, gets a little too into it and whatever, and totally understand that, but also, like, We have a really great true crime community in the world and our community has done some real good for cases. And so to hear it in a courtroom as a reason, you know, for your defense is like kind of wild. Musing number three. So I wanna touch on that Panky was a candidate for governor in Idaho. If you look up this case, it's basically like the headline to every single news article about it. And I will say this was really good for selling articles because he was pretty much a long shot candidate. It was never going to get elected in any of these. So it really, you know, if it wasn't a story like this, it would be a blip on a radar and you'd probably never ever hear that about him because he was such a long shot candidate. But it made for good news. Using number four. So I'm going to preface this with, obviously, we never want Janelle to have been kidnapped or murdered or shot. But in the scheme of her body being not found for so long, it's actually valuable that her cause of death was a gunshot because it's something that can be seen and damaged to the skull. Whereas a lot of things that would have happened to her soft tissue, like even maybe even stabbing or strangulation, that tissue and everything would have been so degraded by then that they might have not been able to even come up with a clear cause of death. So in one piece of getting some answers, there's at least a very clear cause of death for Janelle and you can more clearly go after someone murdering her. 
Musing number five, you may be wondering, authorities have not released if Janelle was sexually abused or not, but as I just said in the last thought, they might not know that because that soft tissue may not be there and those markers and evidence might just not be available. Musing number six. So hearing about how Pangy liked to hang out outside the middle school is gross. I don't care what your motivation is there, it's gross. But it made me think of something else. So Janelle was actually sick the two days before her abduction, was at home sick for two days. And then on December 20th, she goes to school, goes to her choir concert, and then is abducted. And it makes you wonder that whether it's Pinky or somebody else, that if somebody knew she was homesick, somebody was watching her, and somebody was following her. It really opens up for that somebody could have really been surveilling her in these few days before she went missing. Musing number seven. So I wanted to touch on Panky saying that he'd give a polygraph and the authorities refusing that. So I obviously don't know exactly why that happened, but I actually kind of have an inkling that at this point with this long a time going past, you have less and less evidence left on Janelle's body. So you're obviously going to have a circumstantial case kind of no matter what. And I wonder if, even though they're not admissible in court, I wonder if they just wanted to avoid the chance that he could get a clean polygraph. I don't think it would have happened. Or it also could have been at this point and they're like, this guy's a crackpot and we're done dealing with him and we're just going to arrest him. <laughs> Who knows? Musing number eight. I also want to touch base on the defense talking about Angela not coming forward until the divorce. Well, I will say on their defense tactics, it's a good one of saying basically that she wasn't talking anything bad about him until they were getting divorced and she could benefit from it. It's a great tactic. But in reality, I have to say too, on the chance that Panky is this killer, say he is guilty of this or found to be guilty of this at some point, you would have to think as a wife that would you be in danger? Would you be in danger of him also killing you? So wouldn't you want to not talk until you knew you had distance from him? Totally possible. Musing number nine. Again, this is another one we're framing on if he were to become guilty of Janelle's murder. I wonder, you know, he's constantly been talking to the authorities about her case, about her case, about her case. And then all of a sudden there's a back off there. And I have to wonder about if that has to do with Janelle's body being found. And again, this is in the framing of that he did do this. We don't know that he's innocent till proven guilty. But you would think when there's no body found, he has leverage. But when her body is found, he doesn't have the leverage to get a lesser sentence by showing them the body. He doesn't have, you know, a lesser sentence by taking them to the location where her body could be at. Like, there's a lot of leverage that gets lost there. It makes me wonder if that's why there's all of a sudden the backpedal. And again, he could be innocent and that is totally irrelevant. Musing number 10. So I said when they found Janelle's body, there's no usable DNA but I wouldn't close that door quite yet. We have seen such leaps and bounds in that technology. And I have to hope in cases that are even happening now that you're getting unusable DNA, that you know someday, whether it's five, 10, 20 years down the road, that that technology changes and that that DNA becomes usable. Musing number 11. And I talked about this in our last case of the coincidence of cases. So digging for this pipeline when they found Janelle's body, I mean, they could have dug 500 feet in either direction and never found her. Just the absolute coincidence of that happening. There's just, there's something at play there that just is 
so much bigger than anything we can comprehend. Musing number 12. So I had kind of a thought pop up to me as I was going through this and they were talking about Janelle's body being identified with dental records. And it made me think, how unique are our teeth? Like you don't really think about it because they're just like teeth and you have teeth and you eat with them and like they're there and they fall out and they come back and like, you're not a shark, you don't have 40 rows of them, but like, it made me wonder really how unique that is. And I haven't done an informational episode in a long time. I did the prison episode and the odd Colorado laws episode. And I'm kind of thinking about looking into this dental records thing and um, seeing if I can get something out of that. So if that's something you guys are interested in, please um, let me know if you think you'd like an episode on that, because it's something I've not thought about. And I think it could be kind of interesting. Musing number 13. So let's talk about Janelle and Kalia's case. So these cases really, really rocked Greeley, mainly because this is, you know, especially 1984, this was not something that happened in Greeley. And there are some big similarities here. There's very small windows of when they go missing. So Janelle's window of her going missing from her home is an hour or less. So, and then Kalia, she went to walk to a mall, not very far from her home. So again, a very small window of when she should have gotten from her home to arriving at the mall. And then also both of them were found by essentially people out doing this kind of manual work. Kalia was found in um, a drainage area. Janelle was found when they were digging for this pipeline. And so Janelle's case really reverberated through Greeley. And then to have a case so similar, so much longer later come up and then Janelle's body is found. It's just like these two are very interwoven to the community there and it's it's just kind of like those feelings never go away for Greeley about the time that you know maybe the cases have faded into obscurity for the rest of Colorado or the rest of the U.S. it's like they kind of have this thing that reignites those feelings. Musing number 14. I also wanted to comment on the odd weaving of missing girls in this episode. So like I just talked about, we have a lot of big similarities between Janelle and Kalia's case. And trust me, you could definitely jump off the um, conspiratory trail there as far as could they be connected? I don't know. Maybe they could. Um, But then you also have um, Michael Miller coming to help with Beth Miller going missing in Idaho Springs, just about an hour and a half away. Um, If you're wondering, there is no connection between her and Janelle's case. That was something that was looked into and was found to just not be viable. But I am planning to cover Beth's case in another episode, so that will be coming. So ironically enough, Kaylea's case was actually a suggestion from one of our Facebook followers and listeners. And here it's led us, you know, to this path of two other episodes and who knows how many more. Um, And that's, you know, something that's a a real reality about true crime is I think about other episodes that we've had that we've talked about, you know, here Stephen Pinky's son was murdered. And I tried to look into that and didn't find much information. But as much as it's maybe, you know, the chances of you being murdered are maybe not huge, there's still a lot of connection there. There's still a lot of weavings there that, you know, you're kind of, I I feel like in these episodes, I'm always like a second degree of separation from another case. And it's, it's pretty astounding. And it's pretty sad. Okay, here's my last one using number 15. And honestly, I didn't think going into this, I was going to have so many thoughts on this case. But here I am talking your ear off. 
There is a reason that I titled this an unresolved case, because it is. You can feel like you have a suspect, but we do not have a conviction in court, which means, you know, like I said, Panky is innocent till proven guilty, and I've been trying to you know, frame this episode in that way. I did that with the Dylan Redwine case prior to conviction. I do try to be unbiased when I am covering these cases that haven't been resolved because that is what our court system does. That's how our country operates. And I try to be in line with that because, you know, on the chance that Pinky is just some guy who put himself in a bad situation... You know, he doesn't deserve to have that label murderer on him. If he is a murderer, then absolutely he deserves it. But I think that's something that we can sometimes jump to conclusions in our society, especially with a 24-7 media culture. And, you know, we all always want answers. So I'm hoping the answers come in this case. As I said, I will continue to follow it. If a second trial date gets set or any other developments happen, I will make sure to put out updates on that. And I hope that, you know, at some point I can put out an episode that is the resolved case of Janelle Matthews because her family deserves that, Greeley deserves that, and Janelle deserves that. Well, thank you everyone for hanging in there. I know there was a lot of thoughts there at the end, Um, but thank you so much for listening today. Make sure to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform, or if you're one of my wonderful YouTube listeners, this will help you get updates. Um, I am still covering the Gannon Stock case as well as this case as it continues to develop and you will get notifications if I put out some midweek content and it also helps other people find the podcast if so if you love altitude crime help other people find it you can connect with me on social media at instagram at altitude crime podcast and facebook and twitter at altitude crime as always all of the source materials as well as a link to the video with um, the interview of panky and also the video of janelle at the christmas concert is at altitudecrime.com and thank you so so much for spending part of your week with me and i cannot wait to tell you another story about another case on sunday on altitude crime Episode 42, The Unresolved Janelle Matthews Case, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by podbean.com.